we are recording. Okay, so introduction. Three, two, one. Action. Welcome back to the Bay, baby. Episode four, Hidden Pearls podcast. Bruce and Emma here. We are super excited to be coming back to California, to the Bay, uh, San Fran, San Jose, really, but uh, super excited. Niners have a three-week stand at home, and we are praying to all the football lords that somebody will let us in, even if it's, I don't know, I just really want to go to a game. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that at all. <laughs> Thing. I just want to go right. to a football game. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so we have a really stacked lineup for y'all tonight uh, or whenever you watch this. We have Mike McGlinchey, George Kittle, and then Bill and Billy from uh, Martha's Kitchen. So Martha's Kitchen is a food bank in San Jose. We actually volunteered there for uh, Thanksgiving last year, and the Niners and Mike and George uh, are going to talk about that. So super excited. Um, we feel very privileged to be talking to Bill and Billy as they are hidden pearls and this whole podcast is about hidden pearls. And so our mission statement, just to be very, very clear, is um, our goal is sharing the untold stories of the people and communities impacted by social and environmental injustice and the organizations serving them. We seek to raise awareness, increase understanding, build connections, promote healing, and ultimately make a change. And so we feel uh, we had some great conversations with our interviews this week with Mike, with George, and our friends at Martha's Kitchen. And the t-shirts that we are wearing this week are Mission Blue. Yay, we love the ocean. Pops, tell us about Mission Blue. Well, Mission Blue is an organization you kind of look at out there, but they're ocean conservation and uh, marine safety and that. So they're trying to basically protect oceans, reduce plastic in the ocean, reduce uh, one-time plastic consumption, and also working in particular, you know, with whale population and sharks and all those guys and, I guess, women species. Uh, don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, that help... Uh, create a balanced ecosystem out in the ocean. So a uh, big fan of Mission Blue. And so if you haven't heard about them, they've got a great website. You can take a look at that and uh, encourage to get, get involved. Find a way to make a difference in the environment. And uh, let's work together to end climate change and reduce our use of plastics. And so, register to vote. Register to vote and early vote. Early voting starts almost everywhere. In some places it's already started. So check your uh, local state rules and laws and... Um, Register, go vote, and take a friend. Thank you. So with that, let's pitch it right into our quote corner, Mr. BK. Yeah, thank you very much. So each week we're doing a little bit of a quote. And this week's quote is, this is from Lori Harder. Um, as you might know, she's a Instagram and fitness person and mm -hmm. lifestyle and all that Self kind of stuff. Self-love expert. Self That's what it says on Google. Okay, there you go. Lori I Great like, abs. I like it. Okay. Anyway, so here's, uh, here's from Lori. So life is hard for two reasons, either because you are leaving your comfort zone or because you are staying in it. I'll read that one more time for you. Life is hard for two reasons, either because you are leaving your comfort zone or because you are staying in it. So just a little thought, encouragement, whichever. So um, I read that this past week or in, within the last couple of weeks. I really liked it. So here's the thing. If you're staying in your comfort zone, and each of us know what those comfort zones are, and I just want to say, one, is be gentle with yourself, but it's a natural inclination to stay there because we work hard. We want to stay with what we know and that we do that. And staying in that comfort zone at first, you know, it, it feels good because there's no uncertainty. We know how to do it. We're an expert in that area. Um, and it's really obviously comfortable. So we're staying there. But here's the thing. There's no growth there. 
it's really, really, really hard to grow when you're staying inside your comfort zone all the time, if you don't push yourself out. So, um, and the other thing, over time, it just gets stagnant because you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. So it's easy and it's comfortable, but in all honesty, I've learned in my life, easy and comfortable are kind of my enemy. And I know that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but you know, if we're not challenging ourselves, if we're not pushing ourselves and we're not stepping outside of that comfort zone, then we're kind of staying in there. And here's what tends to happen with the people that I work with. If they're staying in that comfort zone long enough, it feels good for a while, but eventually your heart and your spirit and your mind and even your body, they're going to reach out to you and they're going to say, Hey, we got to do something different. And you eventually will be uncomfortable trying to stay in your comfort zone. But so that's, if you're staying, um, if you're leaving your comfort zone, Okay, so here we go, right? That's uncomfortable too, because now you're doing new things. You're doing hard things in different ways, and you're doing challenging things. But that road is where you're pushing yourself, you're reaching to your edge, uh, you're embracing those challenges and the unknown. So one of our overarching philosophies is that all life experiences are opportunities for growth and learning. And if you're leaving that comfort zone, that's where you get an opportunity to kind of engage all that. So it's not easy and there's going to be struggle and discomfort and there's hard work, which is actually the definition of leaving your comfort zone. (laughs) And so we're encouraging, you know, take a look and wherever that edge is kind of continually be pushing yourself on that way. So Emma, and I know you've been in and out of comfort zones in your life. So I don't know, you want to add anything with that or we? The universe is going to come calling for you. And when she does, like you have a choice that you're going to either put your feet in the ground and resist, or you can walk through the door that she's opening. And all of my biggest struggles have been when I start to grip down and I start to say, no, like this isn't happening. This is not what I want. This isn't the direction I wanted. And I, I, I said this in multiple podcasts, but the most pain that has come from my life is when I start to think like, wow, I am really in control. Like this is, this is what I'm doing. This is the plan because Dude, if I have learned anything over my 29 years is that life changes and you have to adapt or be crushed by it. And so just listen when the universe is talking to you. I think there are a lot of really great cues and a lot of different signals that come into our life. And um, I think something that I've at least been reading a lot about on social media and talking to my friends about, but during this pandemic is that people have had a really interesting opportunity to look inward and listen and regroup and think about what's going on in their life and define their new normal. And so your new normal is not going to be the same that it was before COVID. And we're going to talk about that a little later in the podcast too, but just being open to it and listening to the universe and listening to the guides and listening to the signs that are coming into your life, because there are no such things as coincidences. All right, let's get no, ready. No? Okay. I don't know. I don't <laughs> All right, so coming up, like... coming up, we have our interview with uh, George and Mike. So let's get our fabulous 49ers on. All right, everybody, week four, we are joined here with our very first 49er, uh, Mike McGlinchey. Thank you so much. We have our right tackle. Yee, yee, big dog in the house. Um, thank you, Mike. We're so excited. So a little bio on Mike. Uh, Mike played college ball at Notre Dame, was drafted by the Niners with the ninth pick of the first round in the 2018 NFL draft. He is listed at 6'7", 6'8", inches, and about 310 pounds. Is that is that still accurate, big boy? Yeah, it's about right. How are the joints feeling? They're good. Yeah. 
do a lot of uh, do a lot of work to keep uh, the joints moving well, but it it, does, it definitely takes a, a lot of upkeep for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of food and a lot of maintenance. So a lot of body yeah. part to keep lubed up. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, since we are playing the Eagles, uh, fun fact: Ma- uh, Mike grew up in Philly, and where in where right around there. And then were you an Eagles fan while you were growing up? I was, yeah. So uh, I grew up in a town called Warrington, Pennsylvania, which is about thirty minutes outside the city of Philadelphia. Um, and I was an Eagles fan up until the age of about 12 or 13. And then my older cousin, Matt, um, got drafted to the Falcons. So my, uh, my, my family kind of jumped ship because, um, we were loyal to the family and not the city. And, uh, you know, some people still don't get that, but you know, it works out well. Yeah, no doubt. So, and just for clarity, if you don't know that, so one of your first cousins, I believe, right, is Matt Ryan. QB yep. for the old Falcons there. So the close connection there that they kind of stay in touch. So football certainly runs in the family. So, and by which side of the family are you related to Matt then? Is it- uh, yeah. So Matt, Matt's mom and my mom are sisters. Okay. Yep. Very good. Well, and I've met your mom on several occasions. Yeah. And always feel better as a better human being just by walking by her. She always seems to kind of, yeah, she's uh she's definitely a saint for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, all right. She's a solid parking lot hype crew. Like whether we're going oh, in or out of the game, like yeah. we always get a whoop. It's great. She's like, no you doubt. want a drink? You want to, you want to come? You want some food? Yeah. Absolutely. We're, uh, we, the two things we're going to know how to do is have fun and play football. So we'll, uh, that's, that's about all we, all we got going for us and we're going to keep it going. Yeah, this well. is very true. And what was the golf event that we all went to last year? The U.S. Open? Yeah, that, that was a good time. That was a good was time. A good time. That was. Yeah. It was a good time. Took with, the little with shuttle the bus thing down and coolers on yeah. board and the whole thing. Yeah, so it was good. Uh, well, let's see. And then uh, after growing up uh, outside of the Philadelphia, then you eventually get recruited after being a big star in high school and uh, choose Notre Dame. How did Notre Dame come about? It? Well, Notre Dame was kind of the school that I always rooted for growing up. My, uh, you know, my last name is McGlinchey. I'm an Irish Catholic kid from Philly, and there's only one team you root for, and the one right. it's uh, it just so happens they're on TV every Saturday. And yep. as a young kid, I was just kind of drawn to it. And um, when they came calling um, right around my junior year of high school, it was kind of a no brainer for me. Yeah, kind of what you always dreamed about doing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and- just I always wanted to play in South Bend, man. It was uh, it was my uh, the school I always wanted to go to, and um, once I visited, it was, it was kind of like the icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great accomplishment. And then, and who was the head coach then, Mike, when you went? Uh, B- Brian Kelly. He, yeah. So he's, uh, I think he's been the head coach since Oh nine. So he's okay. going on like his 10th or 11th season. So he's been there for a while and, um, not quite as much as Ferenc, but he, he's, uh, he's a pretty tenured coach and, and, um, yeah, he was there my whole five years. Yeah. Cause right before that, there was a little bit of kind of in and out there with the Notre Dame stuff. So he really said, yeah, they had Willingham, Willingham Weiss. And then, uh, they settled with that. They, once BK took over, he hasn't, he hasn't, uh, he, the program's been in a great spot. So yep. he's done a great job there and is, uh, obviously deserving of how long he's had his job. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt, which is not an easy place to be either. So that's no. great. Well, all right, good. And then, uh, we got through the draft, but before we get into some football stuff, just, uh, You've got a fairly large family, so if I have it right, you are the oldest of six siblings. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And then I think your mom and dad both have some siblings and all that kind of stuff. With and last count, at least as I picked up, was twenty four first cousins. Yeah, it's something around that. Yeah, somewhere between twenty and thirty. I don't know what the count's at now. Right. I haven't. Um, I haven't. <laughs> nice. I haven't gone that deep into it in a while. But yeah, there's a lot of us. My mom's one of six. My dad's one of five. And uh, there's a there's a lot of grandkids on each side. It's a it's been a lot of fun growing up there, and we all live close by. So 
Um, we're all close. We all know each other. And it's uh, between the McGlinchies the, and the Lockery family, which is my mom's maiden right. name. Um, yeah, there's a lot of us out there. Okay. Well, and it's a close family too. And like uh, Emma said, even every time we come to the Niner games, we're walking through the parking lot there with the where the families park. And yeah. family's always there rooting, and there's always a big crowd and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, Mike, I guess one of the things that, you know, I do – notice about you is you know is one and we'll get into kind of personalities and all that kind of stuff but you and uh, joe were always very outgoing and personable and all that kind of stuff but uh despite being a first rounder and obviously a very gifted athlete um you've also though dealt with some things in your life you know through your family experiences you know you've been very blessed as far as big and strong and fast and twitchy and all that um, but I know that you've got a brother jim uh i think believe was uh, born and diagnosed with autism is that right yeah. yeah, he was when he was, I think he was about 18 months or two years old. Um, and I was probably about 10 or 11 at the time. And um, yeah, Jim, well, actually, that doesn't make sense. I was probably like eight or nine at the time. And then, um, yeah, so my mom kind of sat us down and was like, hey, this is um, this is because she had noticed some things that were going on with him early because, you know, my mom was a grade school teacher by trade. And she also had four children before Jim. So she kind of picked up on some cues that something might might not be right. And so after he, uh, had, they took him to a couple specialists and stuff like that, and the diagnosis came, and um, we, you know, kind of had to attack it as a family, and it's been unbelievable. Jim's the best part of our family; he's a huge light of us, of ours, and um, keeps us all on our toes and keeps us all entertained right. for sure. And um, you know, he's definitely um, the reason he gives you per- he gives me me and my family perspective on everything and what life is truly about, um, and that. Yeah, I am fortunate enough to play football for a living, and, and I like to think I do it pretty well. But um, at the end of the day, it's it's a game, and my family's the first thing and first and foremost, and that's uh, that's always how it's going to be. Yeah, well, yeah, and you've always come across that way. So, and I do appreciate that. So, kind of within the midst of all the, I guess, privilege, if you want to call it that, you know, you've worked obviously very hard to make that happen, but at the same time. Um, have a, an appreciation for it as well and uh, how fragile kind of life is. And so always appreciate that. And I believe then one of your other cousins also had a diagnosis that has kind of same along, not the same time. Yeah. But- so um, my cousin, Dan McCain, he was, he, so he's actually um, old, my older cousin, but, but more uh, just as close as a brother to me as well. And he's my best friend in the world. And um, when he was younger, he was born with uh, little microscopic holes in his lungs um, that really uh, inhibited his development and his body's development and his organs development um, from a young age. So he's had some limitations since he was since we were kids, and um, he's as he's as strong as 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 a, and, and as much of a fighter as anybody I've ever met in my life. And uh, he's certainly been a driving force for me um, my entire life, and especially my football career because of the drive that he gives me and the passion that he has to be my to be my biggest fan uh, and stuff like that because he he loves football it's the only thing that gets him out of bed man and he uh he he follows the Niners as as hard as anybody out there right well all uh, really good stuff and I know and uh, we kind of talked before we got on just about kind of the purpose we're trying to shadow a little bit of a light on people who need a little special and you've certainly been introduced to that as I think as most of us have in that so we do appreciate that um, let's see. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, appreciate it. Hey, Dad, your mic's funky. What's that? There you go. It was like super muted and muffled. Oh, muted and muffled. That's just me. No, muted that's, and muffled. She's just like, it's like almost I have like to, you got to touch your mouth to it. Like, there you go, Mike. Us. So that, all right. <laughs> all right. Okay, go. Anyway, okay. Uh, so. 
All right, go ahead. We got two uh, fabulous 49ers on. So uh, you, Mike, um, after spending some time with you and then obviously lots of time with Jorge, um, you both are known as having unique personalities. um, And I have to say that's pretty accurate. Um, So first, I want to know, what was it like when you guys first met, uh, when you first came into each other's lives? So when I first met George, I think it was probably what George probably OTAs my are my rookie year because you had been here for a year now. Yeah, and George was kind of yeah George was um, George and Joe were my first really two friends on the team and, and my teammates and stuff and it was a little easier connecting with George at, at times because we were in similar he's only a year older than me rather than you know eleven like Joe 20, was thirty maybe yeah so yeah so we. Uh, so George and I kind of hit it off right away. And, you know, I remember the first couple of weeks of our of, of OTAs and trying to get to know everybody. You know, George was always including me when we went out to dinner, you know, went out on the if we if we were able to catch a weekend where we could go out and have have, have a couple of drinks at bars and stuff like that. And a couple. Um, yeah, just a couple responsibly. Right. And um, yeah, so that's I and, and it's kind of been, you know, as, as, as the more that we've gotten to know each other, the closer that we've gotten. And it's you know, become one of my great friends over these last couple of years here in, in the Bay area. And we put some damn good triples on tape too. I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, that, we, we, we do work together well in between the lines as well. Yeah, That's, that, that's, uh, that's, that's just, probably I, most important. I was just rolling through now. some triples in my mind. I'd like, I've seen a few of those, so that's good stuff. Yeah. 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 Those well. Flying off the ball. So. Nobody better. Mm. No, I would agree with Mike though. I think, uh, yeah, we, we definitely enjoyed our relationship from the beginning. Uh, we do like to have a good time and we like being around our friends and, you know, I think uh, our friends mean a lot to us. So we've always done a good job at that. And Mike's the best. Cause he always has, you know, people over after games and stuff. He includes everybody no matter who you are. And it's pretty, it's pretty special. Like uh, we kind of bring like the family mentality to the Niners and uh, we have that family atmosphere. And I think everybody feels pretty included. No doubt. Well, and you know, I've, and I don't know, I've had a little, just because I've got a little football coaching in my past, so I've been out at the Niners a little bit and sat in the old line room with you guys. But one thing I do appreciate about both of you is, you know, how much fun and joy you bring to the, even to practice, you know what I mean, which I think is a real gift. Um, try, and appreciating, you know, again, the privilege it is to be an NFL player. But at the same time, it can be unbelievable grind because the between the mental and the physical yeah. and all that stuff. So, but Mike, I got to say, I've just, I've never seen you on the practice field without... <laughs> you know, that little skip in your step and kind of there's an appreciation still for the opportunity to be there. Yeah, no doubt. I think, well, I think that's something for our, our whole, a lot of guys on our team have it, especially the ones that are, that have kind of risen to the top as leaders. And like you said, football, you know, football is really, it, it's really only fun about 16 times a year. And <laughs> uh, the other, you know, Monday through Saturday it, cool isn't rest. really that, isn't really that great of a time. And, and you have to have that kind of energy and that kind of passion about being better at what you want or trying to get better at what you do. And I think nobody models that more than George. And, you know, it's, it's just an, as our, the adoption of that mindset has kind of hit everybody on our team. And it's, it's a lot of, it's our, our, our organization and our building is a fun place to be and it's a fun place to go to work. And I think that's why we've had the success that we've had is because of the people and the, the not just the fun, but um, the balance between fun and the details and the work and how hard it truly is to be great at what we do. Um, and I think, you know, our head coach embodies that, our general manager embodies that. And I think every player on our team is starting to embody that too. Yeah. 
have fun and when you have fun you win and when you're winning it you have more winning fun. always makes it more fun yeah. that's for yes. sure yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, very yeah. much so yes right. that's good um speaking of having more fun so i want to drop back to the um golf event that we went to last year because oh, okay. i just i've always known mike mcglinchey as loving the white claws but now that bud light seltzer is in our lives uh Mr. George sponsored. Kittle, sponsored, he he. Um, how do we feel about Bud Light Seltzer versus White Claw, Mike? I love Bud Light Seltzer too. And um, on it's top of the amazing. fact that uh, it, it, it definitely is easier because it comes in a 24 pack. <laughs> so you can, you can treat it like, you can treat it more like a traditional case of beer instead of carrying those like, like five or six, trying to hold five or six 12 packs. You can only go with two or three right. 24 packs, and it makes life a lot logistically easier. That's a classic wow. O-line. Wow. That's an O-line response right that there. Is, that great. is an O-line you know, response. Think, you got to think massive. Yeah, in the, that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. When you, got, when you have as many people that like to drink those things as we do, then you gotta, you got to be prepared. Got to be prepared. That's very Absolutely. true. I will say the Bud Light Seltzer also has like the jumbo can, which is like 24 ounces. Yeah, was- the old pounder. You know, yeah, you got it. So those are nice on a nice warm afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> you got to yeah. know what you're no doing doubt. with those. Yeah, so solid. Yeah, so that kind of gets it out of the because the small can is really designed for the. There's nothing. I don't know involved. if there's anything better on a beach than that. Like, no. I, like a, a nice ice cold Bud Light seltzer. Like, what's better than that? What's your favorite flavor? Uh, I'm probably more of a strawberry guy or mango. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So this Wild is another color. reason Mike why Mike is such a great their lemon, friend. Their the lemon kids. lime, their, I will say their lemon lime is better than all the other brands of oh. lemon lime because it just tastes a little bit more, you know, yeah, better, I guess. <laughs> it does, 100%. I yeah. love it. Okay. That's great. That's yeah. good to know. Well, let's see. Um, as we let's we'll kind of wrap up the the mic focus. But I just uh, the other piece that I've known you for is uh, I've heard you sing multiple times at various settings, and so you and Joe were just always quick into that. So have you have you always been a singer? Do you have a off kind of the field career? You know, beckoning or where's that going? Yeah. So I've always enjoyed it. I'm never. I've never been. Obviously, never done it like for real like I, I i mean i guess i did like a couple school choirs or something back in the day but um no my dad was just always super into music and every time we were in the car he ever, a song would come on and he would he would sing along and that's just kind of how i adopted that my I, I i guess that quality about myself and um i've always really enjoyed music it's one of my favorite things to do um i i like all kinds of music and i am pretty good at um you know, I just remember words well, and that's why I think people get on me about it. But <laughs> no, I think it would be maybe, maybe, um, maybe after football, I could do like a wedding singer or something like that. Yes. I think that'd be yeah. I'd pay a lot of money for that. Yeah. I can't wait yeah, for you I'd, to come to Italy. I'd have to, I'd have to recruit, I'd have to recruit bandmates though. So I don't, I don't, I'd have to figure out because I can't play any instruments. I have a tambourine. And Okay. Well, that works. Yeah. We got a we got a lead singer and a tambourine and that's about it. So we got to work on our on our on the rest of our group. Uh, there's a couple sounds missing, but I think we got it. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> okay, I want to ask one more question. All so, right. since you guys have been in each other's lives for a few years now, um, yes. can either of you share a story about your the other while your time at the Niners? What kind of a story are we talking? Well, uh, like it's close to the edges PG-13, you can get. And still not put quite on a R, podcast. but like yeah. So so we're we're talking more outside of football kind of thing well sure um, well it might be in i don't know it could be it could yeah. be in i i'll tell a football story okay okay, okay. Uh, let me hear george's and i'll go uh, let me hear george's and then i'll go off right. 
Mine's more of just a fun fact, Mike. I was going to tell them if you're watching the game or if you're ever at the game in the future, you know, when they let fans back in, basically before every single play, me and Mike have a handshake that we do. And it just kind of reminds us that one, we're in it together. And two, hey, we're, I know, still playing a game, we're having fun. But it's just kind of our switch every place so we put your hands together, fist bump, head butt, just kind of gets you locked in. So then we listen to the play, play call, go up the line of scrimmage and go out and head hunt. So, uh, that's one thing I've really enjoyed with Mike and me and him kind of started that. Now it's actually insane because the entire huddle kind of has handshakes at the start of drives and stuff. Like when juice comes in, he has a handshake. When Trent Taylor comes in, he has a handshake with Mike. He has a handshake with me. Juice has a handshake with me, handshake with Mike. Jordan Reed has a handshake with Mike. He has a handshake with me. So it's just, it's really fun. And it's uh, just a small interactive thing you see in our huddle that just kind of shows that you know, we're all boys and we're all going through it together. Yeah. We, we call that activation. Yeah, activating the mental mindset you need in order to be successful and play at the highest level. So that's, that's pretty cool. Mike, do do you have uh, other activations that you like to use for getting zoned in? No, I, I, well, I do it. Yeah, I do it. It started with, um, with George and my right guard. I always like, cause those are, those are the two guys that are really my partners out on the field and that's who I work with the most. Right. And so it's the two I do. I always did it to those two guys because I, I think George and I've been doing that since I was a rookie here. And so we do, I always did it with my partner to try and like remind us that we're here to get, like George said, we're here together. We're going to do this together. We're on the same page and we're going to fight our ass off. And that's all you can do. Um, another story. Um, all my favorite George stories are, are really outside of football when we've been able to cut it up and going out and like hanging out at each other's houses and just the random conversations that we get in. And, um, especially if you throw Garrett Selleck into the mix and, and, and the <laughs> times that all the three of us have hung out together right. yeah. uh, is, is definitely worth uh, a couple stories that are not recorded on air. Yeah. 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 You're hundred percent right on that, man. I just talked cool. to, yeah, I, I talked to Garrett this shout week. Out to, shout out to G cells. We missed them. Yeah. Selleck time, baby. Yeah. He's good yeah. stuff. So, Okay, well, thank you very much Thanks, for kind guys. of sharing that. So uh, we'll jump into very the most anticipated, very part of the anticipated podcast, yes. fashion. All right, so we recently added this fashion piece into uh, our podcast and have had actually a really great response from y'all. So thank you very much for listening and for watching. So Mike, as our guest, would you like to kick off uh, some fashion for us? Sure, I would love to. I'm not so. Uh, First and foremost, I am not even close to a fashionista, or nor do I have swagger like anybody else on our team. I'm very, very conservative when it comes to my fashion. But um, my my football fashion is really just kind of like Kyle always says. It's like we're going on a business trip, so I kind of just model it off of uh, what I would think is acceptable at a golf course. So I have <laughs> all, my, all my golf shirts and collared shirts right here. Mm. I have a couple. I have a couple. I've actually upgraded a little bit of my shoe game, a little bit, not Ooh. quite much, not That's... quite, not, definitely not like George. But I have. <laughs> like, yeah. are we talking Nikes? Or are we talking golf shoes? Yeah, Ooh. Ooh, hey, there you go, Mike. Okay, Mike, what size yeah. of shoe do you wear? Hey, the Concords. Yeah, I'm a I'm a 16 or a 17, depending on the shoe. Okay. And then I got like, my uh, I have my little like business casual Ooh, I, yeah those are my swaggy those are my that, those are my favorite and then uh very nice yeah and then just whatever golf pants or jeans i'll put on and then i have a couple suits 
that are that I pull out for a couple big games. Like I'll, maybe I'll do it for Sunday night against the birds. We'll see. Yeah. But maybe I'll, Mike, I'll, I'll have to keep that one in, in, in closed doors though, because if I'm gonna wear it this weekend, I, I need to, you know, I need for. What's gotta be a surprise? Yeah. We yeah want, absolutely. We want we gotta, people yeah. anticipating that. Yeah. Mike, you keep talking about golf. Are you a big time golfer? I do enjoy the uh, the the occasional or everyday round of golf. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love cool. that. Um, all right. Hey, my turn. Yeah. What, turn. what are we doing, George? I'm sure you guys, uh, Jordan ones. Uh, these are the Carmines. Big fan of these. I'm, I like the red and the white. Uh, I think it kind of goes with everything. The clear bottoms. I think those are really cool. Just got these a little bit ago. So I'm a huge fan of them. Um, just, they look great together too. Like those are, those are nice. Like, a strong oh, shoe. Yeah. It is a strong shoe. It's got a strong message of, um, I like to look good. So that's why I like <laughs> is that those. The, is that what it says? <laughs> all right, like that. Yeah, no, I'm just gonna you know keep going through the Jordans and you know, all my Nike shoes and my closet's right next to me, and I'll just keep whipping shoes out. You know, the more episodes we do. No. I have a question. I have a question. Yes. Okay. What was your sideline shoe? Because we only got pictures from the shoulders up. What were you wearing? My sideline shoe. I was wearing the gardens that I showed you guys last week. Oh, okay. you wore those? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, so I packed my other J's, and that's all I had. So the other, all my other shoes were under the plane. And Jimmy's wearing his Jordans, like his New York Knicks edition. And I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get outshooed by Jimmy. No, not by no. So, so I wore the Gardens in the Meadowland. So I just, I felt pretty cool about that. Yeah, that's that cool. is sick. All right, and the ones you just showed us will not necessarily be the shoe for this Sunday, or will they? I wore these today. Yeah. Um, no, the shoe for Sunday. Um, Are you holding that out? Or? Oh, come on. I haven't gotten there yet. So okay. yeah. once, I don't know yet. once Claire decides what I'm wearing, I'll pick the shoes out. Fit the sh- yeah, the shoe fits everything you else. You could wear your Mission Blue t-shirt. Raise awareness. Ocean. I know this you one? have I know you have blue t-shirt or blue shoes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I do plenty of blue shoes. All right. So football fashion. Excellent. Well wow. let's let's go ahead and talk some football then. So all right. Woo-hoo. Anyway, so uh last game Niners beat the Giants out in the old mm. uh I guess what we used to call the Meadowlands. Now it's Met whatever it is. Met Life. Yep. Uh, 36 to 9. Offense had an amazing day, 420 yards. Uh, Nikki Mullins just went off. Holy yeah. cow. That was amazing. 343 yards. And McKinnon Wilson each had a TD. So offense played great. And so Mike will come back to that. Um, defense, I'm not a defensive guy, but we appreciate all that they did. Uh, boys seemed to play really well. And I guess nine points kind of says it all as far as that goes so uh how's the locker room turnovers too yeah turnovers are great and just play good team defense and all that kind of stuff so uh mike any reflections about the game and just you know how's the locker room vibe right now i mean i know you guys are dealing with some injuries but yet now you got a little two-game thing going and coming home for three games yeah i think offensively especially we're super excited um we were excited for guys like nick and jet and jeff to get opportunities um, while some of our other guys are down and resting and getting back healthy and um, Ross Dwelly, who, you know, obviously is a close friend of George and I has had a huge game and was so proud of him and everything that he does. Cause he's just grinded for three years to get where he's at. And he's, he's such a good football player and it's so fun to watch. Um, but Dwelly. at the same time, we are excited to get our horses back and we get, you know, <laughs> we'll get George, we'll get George back. We'll get hopefully Raheem back pretty soon. Jimmy will come back pretty soon. And, Dude. you know, and we're getting and we're getting Debo Samuel, who's one of the most versatile players in our offense back. And he so I think our offense is gonna start clicking on all cylinders here pretty soon. And and you know, we, we rarely I was we joke George and I were actually joking last night on the way home. It's like every week we wind up playing a defense that we've never seen before because everybody is kind of frightened and and 
panicked about what we do on the ground and, and our ability to run the football. So they kind of change what they're doing. So we rarely, rarely, at least the first three weeks, we haven't seen front. They, you know, the defense has kind of altered their front because of what we do on offense, which is kind of a, you know, a huge form of respect in my opinion, but you know, it's kind of a pain in the ass at the same time too. You're not yeah. wrong there. We get so, a lot of fronts that I was like, oh, these didn't exist uh, all week during practice or any of game tape. But hey, we're just gonna know what our rules are and we're gonna triple to the mic and whoever that may be, we'll figure it the fuck out. Right. Excuse my language. Yep. Whoops. Uh, and Juice can figure it out after us. Yeah, that's what's nice. We got a guy like Juice in the backfield that if we go to the wrong guy, he'll fix it and make us right. Yeah, yeah. Well, which doesn't good. happen often, but it's really nice to have a Harvard guy back there. Well, just in football world, so for fans listening, I mean, I think people get in their heads that you know they run a four three or whatever, and so you're going to get you know five technique and whatever or three and blah blah blah. And, you know, if I'm hearing correctly, so you guys watch tape, you see it, you kind of know what they're going to do, their stats and all that kind of stuff on percentages. And yet when you guys go out there, you see a whole bunch of looks that they haven't shown on tape before and they're doing it just primarily to screw you guys up. Yeah, we got yeah. a lot of 55 fronts. Yeah. That's, that's what we've been getting a lot where they cover the well, tight end, the tackle, and the guard. So they're trying to eliminate all of our double teams. Yeah. But we got a really good offensive line and tight ends that know how to run blocks. So we still make it work. Yep. Damn right. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So, and I think Mike, that's really true. The former respect that that way because they know if they line up in a way that you've already seen and you practiced all week, that's going to be a long day. Yeah, it, it, not only just us, but if they give you know if they give Kyle and Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, and Mike Lafleur the things that they've prepared for all week, they're just going to manipulate the defense exactly how they want to, and that's why we're gonna. That's why we've you know, beating teams as bad as we've beaten them over the last two years is because of those three guys setting us all and, and the people that we've brought in here to execute their philosophies is, uh, has been pretty impressive. Yeah, very much so. So, well, that's pretty good stuff. Bella, uh, can we oh. reiterate that stat that you told us before about, uh, oh, yeah, I said that to Mike. So when I was researching, um, this one actually for George's letter, I was just reading some, you know, kind of trivia stuff, but I believe in over the last 15 years, there's been three teams that have done the, then Jets, Giants, back-to-back road trip kind of thing that you guys just did. And all three teams made the playoffs, and two of the teams made the Super Bowl. So it's a fairly difficult feat. That Not that the, it's only three teams have done it in, as in scheduled, but, I mean, actually won both games. So the teams that have won both games have gone on to have pretty big years. So, anyway. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yee-yee. That's a good omen. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I mean, it's not easy to do. I mean, it's a long way out, especially when you're – California team and you're in a different place, you know, environment, and then you're going back out there back to back and now in the same stadium. So anyway, so we'll just ride that mojo and keep that train rolling. So that's good stuff. How's it, how's it feel to be back on Pacific time? I mean, it, it feels like 8 p.m. this morning. It was so tough this morning. I woke up at like 4 30 <laughs> or five, right. like so wide awake. I couldn't, I couldn't oh. sleep. That was me as well. Yeah, that was, that was brutal, but I'm glad we're back here because I feel like I just got a free three hours and I've, I'm going to go to bed pretty early tonight. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I'll be in bed by nine o'clock. It's right. awesome. I can't wait. Sleep's a wonderful, wonderful Mike, thing. Are you, are you a napper? We've talked about this before on the podcast. George and I are terrible yeah, I'm, nappers. I'm not much of a napper because if I go down for a nap, I normally can't get back into the groove. Um, so I just kind of fight it, fight through it with coffee and stuff like that. Um, but no, I, I'm a very, uh, so I'm a very, good morning person but very poor at nighttime like once i hit a certain point like 8 30 or something on my couch i'll be asleep at the drop of a hat so right. um, i definitely 
exhaust all of my all the gas i have in my tank <laughs> just go full tilt every day uh, <laughs> it's like the big hummer just grinding up that hill yeah, and then boy just, when it's the, out of gas diesel engine yep. yeah yeah uh, that's great okay uh let's see then and then um any uh how's, how's coach shanahan and any uh any messages there you can share with us about uh, his direction or sense of things I think he's super excited. I mean, um, he, the, the mindset that he had last week of just uh, wanting us to go out and dominate and do exactly what we did yesterday um, is, was pretty cool. And, and he's excited knowing that how deep our team is and the team that he's built um, from the ground up for over three years. And, you know, we were playing with virtually 10 to 11 guys yesterday that weren't slated to be starters on our football team. And we won by 30, you know, 30 or so points. And that's uh, – that's hard to do in this league. It's, it's very rare. And I think there's only, you know, positive things to take from that and um, got to clean up. And, and, and the cool thing is, is that even with all that, we're, we still can get a ton better with what we've put on tape so far. So that's uh, it's definitely an exciting time to be a Niner and an exciting time to play for Kyle. Yeah. Well, very good. So yeah, season's all ahead and 13 exciting weeks and all that. George, anything you want to add on any of that or. No, I think you nailed it on the head. Um, well, then, I know, like, it was fun Saturday night. Kyle was – he was just say, hey, I'm so confident in this game. I know we're going to go out there, and you guys – if you just play the way that you guys have been playing, you're going to go out there and dominate them. And so it's just fun to, you know, hear that from your coach and you believe it, and then the guys go out there and they do exactly what, you know, he said they're going to do. It's pretty awesome. Well, that is exciting. So, well, let's take a look ahead then. So this Sunday you're playing the Eagles. Come in uh, no wins, two losses, and one tie after an exciting game. With the Bengals also o two and one now twenty three twenty three so um, I guess uh, we won't worry about their offense um, but I guess the one stat that jumped out at me I don't know if you guys have looked at much I, typically you guys don't I think by this time on the team but um, they had eight sacks against the Bengals so I thought that eighteen was QB hits yeah so they uh, it was quite up there a little bit so anyway um, what do you guys know about them and what are you thinking and where are we going. Well, all I know is that I need to win this game this week so that I can continue to go home and have bragging rights on people. So um, <laughs> that's a, that's all I really know thus far. Um, Mondays are normally I st- I normally review the game from the week before at least once right. or one or two more times just to get it out of my system and get every every note that I need to from what we did on Sunday. So I normally start um, my opponent prep on Tuesday or Wednesday right. night. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, um, let's see the birds. Um, defensive wise, I mean Fletcher Cox is an animal. Yeah, he's an he's an absolute animal. So that's yeah, definitely I, you're definitely going to have to have a plan for him for sure. I'm really glad. I'm, that's why I'm happy I don't play center or guard. You don't have to deal with it. No doubt. No if doubt. They want any of those nice you know slams where I come down and slam the, the tackle. I'm going to call Dwelly in because that's just not happening. Yeah, he's an A gap player primarily, right? He's yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, three te- uh, three and a one technique. Three and a one, yeah. Okay. I, I think sure. uh, I think Graham on the edge. I think he's a monster as well. I played him my rookie year, um, and he's just strong, fast, and he knows how to get under your pads. So uh, I think it, that he'll be a very. They have a really good D line, um, and I think we're just gonna you know we have to keep playing the way that we are playing, establish the run, and um, give our quarterback some time to. You know, sling it a little bit, and I think we've done a great job of that so far. And um, it'll be nice, like Mike said, we got some of our horses back, and so I'm looking forward to that. Okay, well, and the topic that everyone really cares about, Mike, is the offensive line. So, how's JB yes. doing, and how are the boys up front? Did, and I, the, Everybody's good. Yeah. Um, we're excited. You know, fortunately for us, we were 
um, one of the groups and the position groups, you know, knock on some wood here, but yeah. we were the ones relatively unaffected by the injuries and stuff. So we've been able to start building some chemistry and some cohesion over the last couple of weeks and without having, you know, OTAs and training camp and a full preseason and stuff like that to get ready to go. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a building process and getting on the same page and working together. Um, and um, I think we're building more and more of that each week. And um, I think everybody's just going to continue to get better, which is cool. That's good. All right. Yeah, it sure looked good. I know one clip that was floating around was, uh, I think, Ben out on that screen and taking out that linebacker just kind of threw. Yeah, he, he's, he's great down the in the open yeah. field. Yeah. He's, he's yeah, good in space, I'll tell you that. Good in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he put a little lick on that dude, no doubt. So. No doubt. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, that is. Well, three technique, one technique, all the things. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my, my tie to the Eagles is that I uh, went to college. I went to OU with Lane Johnson. And so I have there you go. Yeah, a homie on the team, uh, good old Lane. And you actually coached Lane. I did, yeah. He was in my position group when I was there. So I had OTs and tight ends at that time. And so there you go. And actually, um, now I don't know if he'll tell that story, but he was stuck buried in the defensive line. And it was a spring it took me all three weeks of spring ball to talk him into playing offensive line. He thought it was a loser position, but after uh, a lot of us do, yeah, and a he, lot uh, of us do when we first start, it, it's really, and Mike, you might appreciate this. So my third team tackle, you know, like we're, you know, all the starters are done and lanes mm-hmm. in there and he's just getting blocked up at DE, but you know, my guy's not, that, you know what I mean? He's young. So I finally talked to him about it anyway. And so he was keeping his weight down on purpose. Cause he, they said, if he got too big, they were going to move him to a three technique. And he thought that would be doomsday. So he finally mm-hmm. flipped over, you know, in about – he had a week in the offensive line in the spring and then transferred over through summer workouts. And then by about second or third week, he was starting to right tackle. So – and then – There you go. That's kinda, pretty cool. Kind of worked out for him. So, yeah. So we'll – Yeah, not a bit. He's had a, he's had a pretty solid career thus far. Yep. So just back off of a little ankle surgery. And, uh, yeah, he's playing pretty good. So, well, okay. Uh, anything about the Eagles? I think we kind of hit on that. So let's uh, – we'll turn – We're good. All right. So – Talking to the mic, Dad. Thank you, George. I appreciate that reminder. Thank I you. will talk about the next piece. Why don't so, you do that, Em? A uh, huge part <laughs> of Hidden Pearls podcast is about service and giving back. And so this week, our charity focus, the interview that is going to be playing right after y'all, is Martha's mm. Kitchen. And so Martha's Kitchen is uh, a food bank. It's a soup kitchen. Um, they do pre-made meals. But they also are the organization that the 49ers have partnered with on... Thanksgiving. And so we were there last Thanksgiving, all of us wearing turkey hats and red aprons. Yes, we were. Um, fabulous. How many years have y'all done that? I think two. I, I've only been here for two. So two. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think in my rookie year, we did it somewhere else, but I think that's two years we've done it there. And I know I, I yeah. love it. I like how they give us turkey hats, you get to interact with people. Um, it's really funny. I and the people are so appreciative of it too. They really it's really are. cool. It's, it's always been really fun to do those. Um, and it's, it's fun for us too. Cause we get to go as like, um, I mean, we, we do, um, community events really well. Like we show up and we have a lot of guys that do it all. Um, but the Thanksgiving ones usually the biggest, we get like 30, you know, 20 plus guys go and show up and it's just fun because it's just another way for us to hang out outside of the facility and, uh, give back and do stuff together. So that's been a very fun thing for us. Yeah, y'all do a really good job of tying in with the community, the whole Niners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's something the York family takes a lot of pride in, and that it kind of trickles down to everybody. Yep. That it does. No, you guys do a really good job. So, well, Mike, just, uh, I mean, growing up outside of Philly and being a strong 
family of faith, at least it seems that way. And then off to Notre Dame, what, what kind of role of kind of service or giving back? Uh, I mean, did you have experiences growing up? And then I'm just guessing at Notre Dame, you guys probably did some stuff as well. Yeah, we always did the same kind of stuff. At Notre Dame, we did a lot of the same kind of stuff that we do at the Niners. We had huge team events of shop with a player. Coach Kelly's wife was a uh, breast cancer survivor, I think multiple time breast cancer survivor. Um, so we always did uh, the football 101 every summer was was uh, was like a ladies football camp that would all the proceeds would go to breast cancer awareness and research. We did like shop with a player for Christmas time, like we would, uh, you know kids from the local area that you know didn't necessarily have a lot going for them for Christmas time. We would take under our wing and be able to take them around and shop for them a little bit. Um, and then I was always really connected uh, because of Jim and uh, the special needs kids in his class i was super connected to that and, and special olympics and, and and all that kind of stuff growing up so um most of my charitable individual charitable work always comes always kind of winds up you know feeding where my heart is with my brother and 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 the kids like him um and we do a lot we do that camp with the stars i think uh coach mariucci puts on that here every year and um and all the special olympics stuff that you can possibly do is is, is my favorite stuff to do Yes, and we're hoping to get Camp with the Stars uh, as one of our charities. Yeah, just we're just hope, we're just hoping we can do something. <laughs> you know, we've missed so many opportunities because of the time, the crazy times that we're in. So you almost just wish you could help anybody that needs it at this point. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Then, how about? And you want to touch on that? So just a little bit more on Martha's Kitchen, and then uh, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that, and then we'll let you guys go. Yeah. Um, so the mission of Martha's Kitchen, uh, their slogan is feeding the hungry with dignity. They do this in two ways. First, by providing a traditional soup kitchen to the homeless and hungry, serving around 100,000 100, meals each month in eight different counties. They also provide a grocery service to people facing food insecurity, distributing over 250,000 pounds of groceries each month. Martha's Kitchen wow. is now the largest food bank in San Benito County, serving approximately 1,500 families with food each week. So pretty big impact. So, huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, so really growing. And we'll be talking in just a few minutes with uh, their executive director who's going to talk a little bit about oh. the impact of COVID and all those kind of things. So they're going to be joining us. So uh, any big takeaways about your – have you guys been out there other than that, those Thanksgivings? Do you guys do anything more regular with them, or is it kind of around that holiday? I think Thanksgiving's all that we – I yeah, think that's all the big one. Yeah, yes. any big one. So, okay. So, their kind of their focus primarily with the soup kitchen is uh, working with people who are homeless, and so that's kind of their targeted yep. piece, and that's how they came out of that. So, all right. Um, well, then, just kind of in that experience, um, I don't know, and because I, I, we were there actually the last time George was, and so got to meet a few of those people. Um, don't know if he came across with any lessons, just interacting with anybody, or kind of what got him to that situation, or even if you have that kind of time to to make those kind of connections. Yeah, there was a few times, a few conversations that you have of, you know, of just giving people a little hope, giving people a little spirit and helping them through a tough, a tough time that they're in in, in life. Um, but it's actually pretty wild that that event is that uh, you have to you have to be moving fast in that one. There's a lot of, a lot of <laughs> things going on. So it's really hard to talk to people and, and sit down and have a lot of conversations. But yeah, the few that you do get, you know, how how it, like I said earlier, it just kind of gives you that perspective and um, a thankfulness for where you have, what you have and the, and where you come from and, um, and the support systems that you have, because there are people out there that don't have that. And 
you know, it's a, it's a great feeling to be able to, you know, make them feel like they have that at least for a little while. Yeah. hundred percent. I also think that the, like towards the end when everyone's kind of gotten in through the line and everything, and you have a chance to sit down at a table and just talk to people. That's actually, I, it's been really fun for me. And, um, I can't tell you much about the conversations I did have, but I just, I enjoyed them. Um, you just learn a little bit about the people. Um, I sat at a table one time with three Raiders fans. that got torn apart uh, for being a 49er. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. I bring it. I can't wait. They're like, yeah, like, I don't even like, why are you guys here? Like we're Raiders fans. I was like, sick. Yeah, this is, I'm having a great time too, man. Go Niners. Right. But, I um, so I've just, I've had, I've had fun uh, both years that I've done and, I hope that we can continue doing something with them in the future because it is a fun event. And the fact that we get so many players to participate too, is just, um, it's fun being a niner when we go to those things. Well, no doubt. And I know they're extremely grateful. So when we have been talking with them in preparation for this podcast, they've uh, been very grateful to the Niners and all you guys for coming out. So, well, we appreciate well, that. Actually, one more thing. So okay. uh, yesterday we did our, so after this, we have a phone call, uh, our interview with Bill, um, and he is with Martha's Kitchen. But the thing that he said yesterday that really stuck out to me is that the way that you can serve in this world is with uh, your time, your treasures, and your talent. Right. And so with your time, obviously y'all gave back when you were there during uh, Thanksgiving and any other time you volunteer there uh, with your treasures, so with financial resources. So Georgie, uh, thank you for making a donation. And then also with your talent. And so what you guys are doing, even now being on this podcast and sharing it and promoting it, that's a really great way to give back. And just, I think it's like people underestimate the power. I don't think we do anymore, but like the power of social media and putting something out there. And so using this and using your platform and using, you know, not your strengths in different ways and social ways is really, really powerful. So thank you to both of you for, for doing that. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yep. Well, Mike, again, special thanks. Really appreciate it. Love the a lot of travel and everything. Love it. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're big old line fans. So that's where we watch the game. Absolutely. And like I said, what a better, what, what better way to spend an afternoon than with the kittles, you know, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great time. Well, you're very, very kind. So thank you so much. So Georgie, good to see you again. We'll talk to you later. Yes. Mike, stay yes, safe will. and um, we'll be rooting you guys on and hopefully uh, we'll nod at you after the game. I don't know how close to let us, but we're hoping to be out there. So we'll get a chance to see you. So go, right. I'll go. have like a flashlight from the apartment. Perfect. Yeah, there you go. Them. Thanks guys. All right. So perfect. go Niners. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Take 10. Niners are back home this weekend after a very successful road trip out east, defeating both the Jets and the Giants in back-to-back weekends. With the team's return to Levi's Stadium for a three-game homestand, we also return back to the Bay Area with our charity focus. This week, we are thrilled to name as our charity focus for the week Martha's Kitchen, whose mission is feeding the hungry with dignity. Martha's Kitchen was founded in 1981 by a group of neighbors serving sandwiches to the downtown San Jose homeless community. Over the years, Martha's Kitchen has grown to the point where now they serve 100,000 meals each month to their unhoused neighbors in eight counties in the Silicon Valley region. They also serve 250,000 pounds of groceries each month to their neighbors in these same communities, people who have housing but struggle with food insecurity. Martha's Kitchen is now the largest food bank in the San Benito County, serving approximately 1,500 families with food each week. Martha's Kitchen believes food is a basic human right, not a luxury. 
It is estimated that one in four Bay Area residents will experience food insecurity at one time or another in their lives. Martha's Kitchen strives to be the safety net to ensure that when individuals or families in our communities face hunger, these neighbors of ours do not go hungry. Welcome, Bill. Let's introduce him. Thank you for having me. All right. Bill Lee, Executive Director, and I'll just do a quick bio so people kind of know a little bit about you because we are called Hidden Pearls, and Bill, along with his staff and Martha's Kitchen, are part of those Hidden Pearls, and we're so glad to have you here tonight. So Bill was born and raised in Southern California. He's a product of Jesuit education, having graduated from Loyola High School in Los Angeles. I've been there, just for the record. And then completing his undergraduate and MBA at Santa Clara University, where he's a member of the Bronco football team. What position? I was a punter. Punter. There we go. All right. Nice. Uh, He founded a very successful national manufacturing distribution company in the window shutter industry. And how many years were you in that? That was, that was a while, wasn't it? 28. 28 years there. Got out of that. And then having sold the company, uh, became a part of Martha's Kitchen. And I believe now going into your second year, is that right? That's correct. Yep. Um, and you were working with the Martha's Kitchen team as they live out their mission in feeding the hungry with dignity. Resides in Hollister with his wife and two sons, and in his free time, he enjoys bicycling. I'm an Ooh, avid biker. Yes. Yep. And uh, likes to coach youth basketball. So, Bill, appreciate you very, very much being here with us. And, um, again, um, consider one of our real privileges is to have a chance to introduce people like yourself who work with nonprofits and really, in today's world, are a lot of times the, the kind of the last stop safety net for people uh, living on the edge. So we really appreciate you being here with us. So, Bill, as we get started, before we talk a lot more about Martha's, could you just tell us a little bit about, you know, after selling the business, you know, how did, what, what drew you to working with a nonprofit like Martha's Kitchen and doing this kind of work? I always wanted a chance to give back. I always wanted an opportunity to do something for others. And once I sold the business, I was at a perfect turning point. The executive director before me was retiring. The opportunity and the need was there at Martha's. So I stepped up and took the role and I've been really loving what I've been doing. I mean, it's sad that we're needed. I wish we weren't needed, but there's a lot of, facts, a lot of satisfaction that comes uh, with helping other people too. Yeah. Had you been involved with Martha's Kitchen before you took this position? I had not. Okay. So it was kind of in that job search. All right. Uh, very good. Um, well, then, as executive director, can you tell us a little bit, just before we start talking about Martha's again, just kind of what, what do you do on a day-to-day basis as the hotshot, big-timer executive director of this nonprofit? What, what do you do? Well, the executive director, director is really responsible for all aspects of an organization, its operations, its fundraising, its administrative, uh, every, every, every aspect A to Z. Uh, so, you know, when you're the final guy, anything anybody misses, you pick up and, and you handle. And being a smaller organization with only a dozen uh, paid staff members, uh, I do everything from get the financial audit done to deliver food. Right. So very, very hands-on in that capacity. What I- are, I mean, just because you have your hands in all parts of the business, um, what are some of the highlights that you've had? You know, expanding program services is really, I I think, the highlight. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? To serve and feed as many people as possible. Um, We've been growing for some time, but obviously COVID put us into warp speed on growth. But just knowing, 
you know, it's sad that there's people out there that are on the edges, but knowing that we get to chan a chance to make a difference for as many of those as possible is probably the most exciting thing that comes with getting up and going to work every day. So in your work, because you're at the soup kitchen or you're there with the grocery deliveries and those kind of things, you actually get to know some of the people and kind of see the benefit and the, uh, the assistance that Martha's Kitchen is providing to people. I do. I mean, with the homeless population that we serve, for example, with the hot meals, uh, you know, after a while you get to know the clients and, you know, people who have been in tragic car accidents that have put them on the, on the margin and on the edge where they can't work. Uh, people that have just had all kinds of different tragedies befall their lives. So often there's a stigma that, you know, homeless people are mental health cases. And there are some of those, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of other people that are that are on the margins. A lot of times it's physical disability or, you know, sadly bad luck. And you'd be surprised, you know, there are a number of folks on the street who have college degrees. That's probably the thing that's most amazing and most mind boggling. But that's the valley that we live in. Um, there's there's a lot of haves and there's a lot of have nots and somebody's got to step up and make sure those have nots don't go hungry. Absolutely. That's what we do. Okay. Well, um, so at least as I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong. So there's kind of two primary thrusts of the program in Martha's kitchen. One is the actual soup kitchen where people come in. And then the other one is kind of the, I think what you guys describe as grocery assistance. And can you just tell us a little bit about those programs and what, what you guys do as far as trying to help in those communities? Yeah, Martha's Kitchen was founded with the mission to try to feed unhoused people, homeless uh, people experiencing homelessness. And we still do that. And we do it in a big way to the tune of 100,000 hot meals every month. But along the way, along our journey, we recognize that there's a lot of people that are just one step away from losing their housing. And so there are people who have to pick with what little money they have. Um, they may even have a job. They may have a check. Do they put gas in the car so they can keep going to work? Do they pay the rent? Or do they buy groceries? And that's a horrible decision to go, I can't afford all three and I've got to make some decisions. So we try to step into those folks and get them some groceries so that they don't suffer from malnourishment. They can eat and, you know, <clears throat> use their money towards the rent and the gas to keep their job. Right. No, and so can you tell, you mentioned COVID a little bit. So can you talk to us a little bit about because um, at least what we're hearing, so this is only week four for us, but one of the things that all the other folks that we've talked to, COVID really kind of almost for everybody doubled kind of the, the population that they were working with. And the other kind of notable fact uh, was a lot of the people that came in were kind of first-time users of services of this nature. But how did, how did COVID, COVID hit Martha's Kitchen and how have you guys responded? Well, it blew up the demand for services at our place, just like it did a lot of others, as you referenced. Uh, the hot meal program six months ago, uh, seven months ago before COVID uh, hit, we were doing about 50,000 hot meals a month. And that, within a matter of just a few months, mushroomed 100,000 hot meals a month. Mm -hmm. And that was compounded by a number of situations. Um, probably the most notable was all the uh, jail releases. There were people released from jail that weren't expecting to get out, didn't have plans, didn't have family to take them in, or they moved in with a, for example, I moved in with a girlfriend, got in a fight and ended up back out on the street. Um, there were groups that handed out tents in front of some of the jails here in Santa Clara County um, to people getting out just so they would have some shelter over their head. It was a very unexpected thing. Obviously the whole pandemic was unexpected, 
So that blew up that side of, of the operation. The grocery side is a whole nother story. We were only doing 10 or 15,000 pounds of groceries a month before the pandemic, and we're doing a quarter million pounds of groceries a month now. Um, Wait, that's say, where say that a again. lot of change has occurred. And even in the last few months, we've seen a lot of change as the government assistance has wound down, it's right. left more people uh, struggling to, to feed their families. What we try to do with the groceries, we can actually get more people fed per dollar with groceries. So if they have housing, they have a kitchen, you're better off giving them groceries than hot meals because they're doing the cooking, not you and so forth. Um, There's also, you know, we try to keep dignity in the equation. Housed people, if you give them groceries, uh, mom or dad can come get a box of groceries, take it home, put it in the fridge, put the groceries away, and nobody ever knows where they came from. There's a lot of stigma, especially for children. You know, if, 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 you know, the other kids sadly will ridicule children. Oh, you know, your mom, dad had to go down and get assistance, that sort of thing. So we try to make it easy so they can come and get food and just slip in. Um, the same thing when we do the hot meals for the homeless population, we, we try to serve really good quality meals. And uh, we, we do so in as dignified a manner as, as humanly possible. There's a stigma that goes with coming to get a meal at a soup kitchen. It's, it's not an easy free meal for people. It, it comes with a heavy stigma and they don't come in. Uh, they come in only because they truly are needy. Right. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, I think you kind of talked about the numbers. I guess you went over one really quick there for me, just the grocery poundage. I thought you said about a, in a month, you guys were doing ten to 15,000 pounds. And after COVID, two months into COVID, you're doing 250,000 pounds. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. That's a pretty significant. A that's, a, that's a huge explosion. <laughs> Holy uh, cow. But we're just, we're literally putting our fingers in the dike. Yeah. And where we see food insecurity, we've stepped up and taken care of people. And we were finding that house people were coming for cooked meals because they were struggling to eat at all and realized we need to get groceries to those people. And they're being missed by other grocery operations, food banks, et cetera. The lines are mind-bogglingly long. you know, even even south of San Jose, the little town of Hollister and San Juan Batista, where we serve a lot of our groceries, um, we see meal, we see food lines uh, two miles long, cars backed up every Tuesday, and you know, for for an entire county of sixty six thousand people, um, there was only one place to get groceries before the pandemic. So that's why we we stepped up and and stepped in, and we've we've created about a half a dozen locations where people can go and and get groceries if they're in need. Okay. And like in California, I mean, uh, growing up in Iowa, it wasn't quite the same, uh, literally not at all, but the cost of living is just blows my mind. Every time we come out and go to a game or went to go to a game or visit Claire and George, um, the cost for living in California blows my mind. And so something that we talked about on our pre-call was really the difference between some people having to choose to pay rent and then choosing to get groceries. And so making that, choice or eliminating that choice for them is very special and something that uh, more and more people have been dealing with lately. So yeah. Very. And, or, and then I heard too, putting gas in the car cause you're right. Cause people got to get to work that commute. And so yeah. there's a lot of uh, core kind of factors. And then uh, Bill, just to kind of clarify too, the jail release in the counties. And so at least as I was reading your materials right now, you guys are active in up to eight counties. Is that right? 
That's correct. Okay. And then I know the jail releases. Do you, do you have a vague like idea about what were the numbers with all the different jail and like city, you know, releases, what, what kind of numbers hit the streets with those jail releases? If you know, I don't know how many total were released, but I know that it added in Santa Clara County alone, about 2000 people to the uh, number of people that are experiencing homelessness on the street. Okay. Yeah. And just as you, it's close to a 20% increase. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's really tough. And you know, you're right. Cause I've worked with probation and parole. And so, you know, know the pre-parole kind of whole routine you're in jail, you got to have a approved department or someplace to go, you know, they want you to have a job and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're just sitting there and you haven't done anything and all of a sudden they walk in and say, Hey, it's too risky to keep you here. Cause we got COVID and we don't want you to get sick. See you later. And now you walk out the door and you're like, okay, well now what? And um, so um, do appreciate you guys kind of filling in kind of those gaps as well. So, yeah. So, uh, quick, quick story on that, yeah. just to tell you, I, I ran into a woman who she'd been released from jail. She went up to the city police officers and said, "There's a bench warrant out for my arrest. Can you take me back?" <laughs> and they refused to take her back. That was back in, I think, late April. Oh wow, that's pretty staggering. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, the importance of getting him out of the jail. And uh, not even recognizing the bench war, that's pretty tough. So how wow. how big of an area do you guys cover? We cover eight counties. Uh, Alameda County, San Mateo County, Santa Clara County, Santa Cruz County, Monterey County, San Benito County, Merced County, and parts of Fresno County. And that's with a huge staff of 12. With a staff of 12 and a lot of volunteers. I was going to say, gotta be yeah. an ar- there's an army behind you. What, what kind of numbers do you, do you have? It Like, what are you thinking as far as volunteers? It just must be huge in all those places. Well, we, we get tens of thousands of volunteer hours every year to make it happen. We have folks that come in in the morning and help us build sandwiches, cut up fruits and vegetables. We make over 5,000 sandwiches every week wow. uh, as part of our meal program. Uh, and then we have folks that come in in the afternoon and help us serve. And quite frankly, your organization's been part of that uh, for, for many, many years. Uh, and groups come in, and whether it's individuals or groups, they come in and, and, and help us actually dish up the meals and serve the meals. And that reduces the number of staff members that we have to have. And, you know, thank goodness we have the volunteers that, that step up and do that work. Yeah, so referencing the Niners. And so the 49ers came out, at least we in fact, we were in town for Thanksgiving last year. Uh, and had the opportunity to come out with George and the players uh, to Martha's Kitchen. And actually, uh, I served whatever the meat was. I know I'm not remembering. It must have been turkey because it was Thanksgiving. So it was. I was put, a greeter at the was. front door. Yeah. So I was I, a greeter. Yeah, I was putting, uh, yeah, either chicken breast or whether they want a darker white meat or whatever. So I was putting the old stuff on and then next to a mashed potato server. So we were trying to combo uh, pretty well. But it was quite the experience. So we had quite the line and it was really an event. And actually, and we just, you know, we talked to Mike Mulginchy and, and uh, George about that. And they said one of the things they really enjoyed the most about it, and I, and I really reflected on that, it was true. When things slowed down a little bit, you know, when the serving was kind of down off the peak, then we had a chance to kind of go out and that was when you could still sit next to people and talk a little bit. And uh, they both kind of shared stories about meeting people, hearing their story a little bit and just talking with them about that. And it really was kind of eye opening for them and appreciative as that. So that was really a, a great event for us as well. But besides the, like uh, the 49er as volunteers, um, what, how has your volunteer demographic changed since COVID and the pandemic has kind of swept and had an impact because obviously older generation has been encouraged to stay in. So what, uh, what does that look like for y'all? 
Yeah. So our backbone of regular volunteers, people that come every week, every morning or every afternoon consists of a large number of retirees. And yes, they are, they are older. And uh, when COVID hit, uh, most of them were told by their family, you stay home or you're going to die. And so we've seen very little from them. And it, it's an interesting story there because uh, when they left, obviously we got shorthanded. The first week we were really wondering, oh, gee, what are we going to do and how are we going to do this? And then something very interesting happened. Um, I had always wondered about the younger generation and if they would step up uh, when they got older. And all of a sudden the younger generation was sitting at home. They couldn't go to work. And they started stepping up and volunteering. And it was miraculous. And it has kept us going the last six months. And granted, some of them have gone back to work along the way and, and so forth. A few of them have turned into regular volunteers. But I have to tell you, it's really heartwarming for me because I was really wondering, you know, what is the world going to be like when this older generation who has suffered, whether it was World War II, the Depression or otherwise, and really understood that neighbors needed neighbors and people needed to help people, what would the world be like when they, you know, got older and moved on and this younger generation came along? And now I have my answer. And the answer is it's inside the younger generation, too. They do care about their neighbor. They care about their fellow man. And obviously not everybody fits one size, but there's a lot of people out there who do care and will step up and, and will volunteer. And they've kept our ranks filled uh, for the last six plus months. And we're very appreciative and very grateful for that. Right. And something you said, uh, so before we do our call, before we do actually this interview, we always have our pre-calls and Bill, something you said yesterday, like really rocked me when you were comparing, um, people of an older generation who have suffered with the depression and like you just said, world war two and thinking that COVID is this massive, I mean, burden or situation crisis that our country is going through and how it's like it's just a part of who we are now and it's this framework. And so to see people peeling back this layer of like, what is the norm and just being on social media and being disconnected and seeing how we can't live that way anymore. And we can't not know our neighbors has been um, inspiring and yeah. it's, pretty, it's pretty cool to see. I mean, one of the constant themes um, from our interviews is uh, this notion about kind of we, the people, you know, that we all live in community. We need community. We are the community. And um, there's a sense, I think, that in a way, you know, before this, we were pretty isolated. And then COVID drove us into some isolation. But then I think we, there was a, in the, in the context of that isolation, there was a realization about how much we all need community and we need our neighbors. And I think that time is even more prominent now. And because I think the same story, when the COVID stories came out from the other agencies we've talked to, all of them said kind of that same piece. And then it was amazing when they put out the cry for help that, there were people that showed up and that were willing to roll up their sleeves and the more connected we are and the more we appreciate each other's plight and the more we reach out, then the stronger we all are. So it's uh, been quite a, quite a piece for us. So yeah. Okay. A uh, silver lining to the cloud. Yeah. There you go. And that's, I mean, we're still in it. That's what's crazy. Okay. So yep. this is another thing that is very interesting to me. So how long, I mean, cause obviously as executive director, uh, we talked to another food bank, uh, Second Harvest, in our first week, and they were saying that they were planning for COVID, like planning for operation to be extended, like COVID, what's the word? 
for I mean the eighteen month thing. Yeah, the eighteen month thing. Yeah. So the, I mean, they're they're planning on. There's no post COVID planning for them right now. They're they they were on an eighteen month kind of calendar, and then they were going to review it after twelve because they just feel like the limitations on volunteers and contact. You know what they've done to kind of sustain their organization. They're planning kind of an eighteen month window to be reviewed every six months, depending on you know the CDC and the health and all that kind of stuff. So, I think that's what she was wondering about. And where is that going for you guys? Yeah, have you guys like put any numbers out like that, or is that kind of on a calendar? We too are planning for a long haul. Not so much because we don't believe that at some point there'll be a vaccine and you know, people will be able to have contact with each other. But even once you have a vaccine and people can start going back to school and to work and doing, going, you know, going into theaters and doing these normal things again, the people who live on the edge, which is the people that we service, they will be the last ones to get back to work and get lifted out of this situation. And so even, you know, should a vaccine be available, say, next month, we know it's going to take months to get America vaccinated. That's not a that's yeah. not a one week task. And then once that's done and people can start living normal again, going to restaurants, it's going to take some time for life to get completely back to to normal. And these people on the margins are going to be the, the last ones to get pulled out. Yeah, whatever that normal is, I think it's probably going to be a little bit different. I'm just, you know, like my old days, I'm not much of a CPA type person, but you talk about accounting, right? First in, last out. And that, you know, to me, that population that you serve, they're the first ones impacted. You know, they're the first ones laid off. They're the first ones to get evicted. They're the first ones in that situation, all that stuff. And then they're going to be the last ones out, you know, so that, that the COVID ripple for them will probably last longer than for anybody else. So a lot of planning and foresight there. Right. And that's why organizations like ours and Second Harvest Silicon Valley are are looking at 18 months, not because we did, we're not thinking that, oh, it's going to be 18 months till we have a vaccine, but we're thinking it may be 18 months until you start to see large numbers of people fall uh, into a place in life where they don't need the safety net to this degree. Yeah, start getting back on their feet and get the foundation of all those things taken care of. So uh, let's see. Okay. Um, so Bill, just kind of thinking about it, I guess I'll go for two questions and maybe you can, you can touch them either way you want. Um, just, you know, when you have gotten to know folks who are homeless and, or they are housed, but on the edge and you guys are serving them, what kind of, um, what kind of life situations are there any of the systemic issues that are out there that are kind of chronic that typically trip people up? And then part two would be just, um, are there long-term solutions that you guys are involved in and, or that you would advocate for? Well, there, there's a variety of reasons that, that people end up on the margins and on the streets. And we, we touched on a little bit, but a little bit of it before. Uh, mental health is definitely a factor and, and medical issues are definitely a factor. And those are probably the, the top two things. There's people out there that just simply lost their job. Um, there's people that just found themselves in a, in a myriad of unfortunate situations. Uh, f- fights with families actually puts people on the street a lot of times. Uh, so there's there's a wide range. In terms of solutions, um, 
Unfortunately, there's no magic fairy dust to just solve this. And I think a lot of people would like to see that. I think the number of folks living on the street has gotten to a point where, at least in California, people can't not notice it. As you drive around the Bay Area, you can't get an on-ramp, an off-ramp, and not notice it. There was a time where the numbers were smaller and the folks could hide behind the bushes and the trees and, and be a little less visible. And if you didn't look hard for them, you didn't see them, but the numbers have swelled to a point. You can't go anywhere, San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, or even smaller cities like Gilroy and even Hollister that I mentioned earlier and, and not see it. Um, what are the long-term solutions? Well, unfortunately, there's, there's, it, it takes a number of pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, building housing definitely helps, but that still doesn't get people fed. Um, we're in the business to make sure they, you know, they get fed because that's just a basic necessity like air and water to sustain life. Mm -hmm. um, having the community awareness and having people actually care for their neighbors is actually a big part of it. Because as we press our local and state and even federal officials to do things to help, to allocate funds to help, it, it starts with the people. I mean, we are a democracy. You know, we go to the ballot box, we vote, and we put pressure on our politicians, and they're going to follow uh, the lead of what the people lead them to. If the people are not aware, if the people don't care about the issue, then it's not going to be a priority for the politicians to, 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 to allocate funding and do things for. Um, that's starting to shift. That's starting to change because it's, it's more visible now. And so, you know, we will con I think we'll continue to see some evolution, but unfortunately, I think the problem's going to get worse before it gets better in the short run. Right. Especially as we transition through and out of, hopefully out of COVID uh, with all that. Well, then um, how can people help? So what would you, uh, so if people are listening or watching, what would you ask them? How can they do something for Martha's Kitchen and or the bigger issues? When you ask how people can help, people have time, treasure, or talent. It's very rare they have all three available to give at once, but they usually have at least one of those things that they can give. If they have time, they can come down and volunteer. They can be part of that army that, that helps us actually prep the food or serve the food, that type of thing. If they have treasure, uh, it takes money to run an organization like this, and obviously donations are always welcome and, and, and help. Um, and Occasionally, we run into people who have talent who are able to uh, help in one, one way or another, uh, whether it's, for example, what's happening with you guys today. I mean, you guys are, are sharing your talent and, and sharing your communication lane to help others learn about the situation. So everybody has a different gift that they can, that they can give. So there's plenty of ways that they can get involved. And all they've got to do is go to our website. There's information on volunteering, donating, and, and so forth that are, that are right there. Which will be linked in the show notes. Yep. So link for how to donate money and or to sign up or hook up for volunteers would be there as well. So something, okay. something that you keep saying is like, it just, it's funny because it's one of those situations where like you hear something over and over and over, and then sometimes it just hits you kind of different. But when you're saying like an army of volunteers, I think it's, it's interesting to think about that because obviously in the political world right now, there's a lot of different, um, ideas of armies and like what's going on and like, where do we need to put our resources and everything? And, when you think about an army, it's a massive, massive force combined of like so many different people who are so many different roles for something. And so when you think about what it's going to take to end hunger, 
like this basic human right that we want to give to people, like it's going to take an army and it doesn't have to have weapons. It doesn't have to have funding. You don't have to get paid to do it. You don't have to commit your entire life to it. But thinking about how you can be a part of that army to show a little bit of love and compassion to your people, especially like, I mean, exactly what you said, like when we drive through San Jose now and the amount of people that are on the side of the road or under the bridge, like it's, you can't not see it. And pretending that they're not there is literally the worst thing that you can do. And so whether you have time, whether you have treasures, whether you have talent, I mean, social media is a talent for so many people. So if you have the resources, like get out there and say something like our youth is so tech techie, right? So like do something with it. And so, um, so yeah, so call to arms by the, uh, the 30 something. Excellent. The 30-something. Not quite. Not quite. October so 17th, y'all. Yeah, so birthday Get ready for, for the her, birthday. So. Well, very good. Well, um, Bill, that kind of exhausts us. Anything else you want to offer that we haven't asked you about that we should have? have we- um, talking about the, the concept of it takes uh, an army. And it, it does, you know, it, it, it takes... It takes a lot of people, whether you want to say it takes a village, it takes an army, it takes a number of people, it takes a community of people that actually love their neighbors, care about their neighbors. That's really what I mean by that. The other little piece that I'll give you, which you can, you can take, or you can, you can throw out. um, And I talk about this. I probably should have mentioned this in the, in the pre pre pre-call yesterday. I just didn't think of it. Um, You know, when, when you, when you see this stratification between the haves and the haves nots out there, and we're living in the richest, uh, community in the world in the Bay Area, and yet we have more people suffering and in need. And one of the things that comes into into question sometimes is the basic concept of capitalism. Um, Adam Smith in Wealth of Nations wrote about capitalism. There's two major parts to his book, and the first part is what most people think of with capitalism: he who works harder or has the better idea becomes more successful and basically gets more credits, money, whatever you want to call it, and and gets to enjoy those things in life. But there's a second part of the book that often gets overlooked. And what Adam Smith talks about in the second part of the book, where he basically outlines the principle of capitalism, is he who becomes successful has an obligation to take care of the system that made him successful and take care of the society that made him successful. And that often gets overlooked and forgotten. And it's a very important part. And we do have corporate partners that do have philanthropic uh, mindset and do help. And I'm talking to one right now, the San Francisco 49ers. They care about their community. They give back. They give back time. They give back treasure. And they give back talent all to different organizations at different times in different ways. It's a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, not all organizations, not all individuals who are successful do. And that's where I was talking about earlier with that whole fear that I had about, you know, is the future going to be a me generation? Um, Not everyone, but there is an obligation that the successful have that's outlined in the basic principle of capitalism to support the very society and system that allowed that success to happen in the first place. Yeah. Right. The opportunity to give back. I don't know. If you rode the elevator up, it, when you get off, you better push it back down so some other people can get on. And, and rebuild it. Like, yeah. how did you get there? Right. So, well, we're certainly encouraging all that kind of stuff. That's, which that's is, exactly right. Yeah. So, bigger discussion. And uh, the, so, the invite is big. So, whether we're a single individual and a small company or larger, um, that opportunity to look out the window and feel connected to that larger community and the people that are there. 
Um, you know, I, I remember back to the kind of Reaganism years, you know, that as the water rises and they talked about the economy, then, you know, everybody's boat goes up. But the, the reality is there's a lot of folks with holes in their boat and they end up drowning or, you know, really struggling. And so uh, we need to help repair some of those boats and give people some life vests and help people sustain in a longer term kind of fashion. So appreciate very much those. those you can insights. do that by registering to vote. Yep. Reminded to. So we are still a few weeks away from that. So if you haven't registered in most states, you still can. And uh, at least here in Tennessee, the you can uh, do it safe. You can do it online. You can get ballots through the mail. And uh, early voting starts. You can do it on social media. uh, I think 10 days here, uh, we start the early voting here. So if you can early vote and if you can help with the polls and do all those kind of things. So, well, Bill, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the work you and your staff and all the volunteers at Martha Kitchen do. And if uh, if we're able by Thanksgiving to uh, participate in something out there, we'll come by and see you guys. And if not, we'll uh, wish you guys the very best. So thank you so much. And we will contribute with uh, talent and treasure in other ways. If we can't be there in person, then... No doubt. We shall be there in spirit. All right. Well, thank you again, Bill. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. All right. You bet. Take care. Good luck in the game tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, to the next segment of our podcast. I'm very excited and honored to introduce Billy Rodriguez. Uh, He has been a volunteer with Martha's Kitchen for over 22 years. Um, He's faced a little bit of homelessness and is now at a shelter in place, and he is here to tell his story and the work that he does with Martha's. So, Billy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Well, let's, uh, hi, Billy, uh, again, just thank you so much for taking time to talk to us again today. And um, as we were talking before we got started that the Hidden Pearls podcast, part of the, the Hidden Pearls is really people like yourself, organizations like Martha's, people like Bill and the staff there at Martha's who do so much work to help people within the community who are in need. So I uh, really appreciate all you do. So let's, let's start off first, though, with the kind of volunteer piece. Tell us a little bit about when we asked you and you said you've been volunteering for 22 plus years, that is a long time to be volunteering. So yeah, I've seen a lot of people. Yeah, I bet you have. So tell us, how did you get involved with Martha's in the first place? How'd you stick around for so long? Um, like what do you do? My mother and father Mateo at the Catholic church. Okay. So, um, right at the Catholic church there next door to Martha's. Yeah. Okay. So it was a real natural connection. So 22. Uh, yeah. It's a, go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead and finish. Yeah. I'm, it's more of a spiritual connection with them and then being here you know these, these people in this building are like my family so okay because in our the, the buildings are actually connected where they serve the food that's part of the catholic church there is that right um no actually that's or, a whole different uh, okay. thing we you know all right but yeah as far as feeding the people that's what i do okay so got started because part of your faith, or at least for your parents, and that was part of the Catholic Church, yeah. and so got introduced to Martha's Kitchen and so started volunteering. Um, and then have you, what have you done over the years, different roles, or how's, how's that looked? Um, I've owned a business. I've uh, been a manager for a lot of places. Um, as far as the kitchen, I grew up around the kitchen. Okay. And you know, I've done a lot of volunteer work, so. All right. And wh- what actual roles do you do at Martha's as a volunteer? Do you do a little bit of everything, or... I'm the multitasker here. Okay. (laughs) Everything. I go everywhere. They like to keep me in the kitchen when it's all right, though. Okay. If they need my help, other places I jump in there. All right. Yeah, I think when we were there, we got to, we had about a bunch of that too. So we served for a while until it slowed down and then we're out front and cleaning up and doing a lot of things going on when they're feeding people like that. So, all right. And then, so, um, 
let me just ask you then. So as you got involved and you talked about being a spirit thing, what's kept you volunteering at Martha's? I mean, why would you volunteer at Martha's for all these years? Well, it's again, follow my tail. He says, you're going to bounce off the path, but always come back to where you started from. And I've done that ever since. Okay. I mean, do you, is it because, I mean, do you have a notion that you. Well, in the beginning I had a bad marriage, a divorce and you know, you just get spiritually linked. Plus I was in South Dakota for a long time too. So I became spiritually linked to the natives. So. Okay. And that changes you with time, you know, I'm coming back here and doing the work. It's about feeding the people. It's not about, you know, taking clients from doing stupid things. It's about feeding other, other organizations. Why is it important to you to feed other people? It's turned into a passion and it's my calling. So that's where I feel it's good for me to help out with this place. Okay. So the volunteer. You're dealing with a lot of food. (laughs) Yeah, right. And there's clearly a huge need. I mean, we talked to Bill Lee uh, just before this. Well, yeah, the responsibility is loyalty. Um, uh, My father was very organized as far as uh, staying with a certain job. He's always said to us, just, you like a job, stick with it. You know, your loyalty will grow in time. Okay. So I've kind of hung with it, you know? Right. So kind of a, a desire calling to give back, to help other people, to feed folks. And no, my whole family's like this. Okay. We help you. We always help somebody, you know? Yeah. Somehow, some way, it always works out. Okay. And then you've had quite a bit of contact with people who come to Martha's for food, I'm imagining. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Hanging on the creekways. Yeah. I know a lot of them. Okay. Well, um, oh, go ahead. They they have their own you know problems and everything, but they still come here because we're not evil. You know, they, we, we serve good food and you know, a lot of them I know by personally, you know. How how far away are the creekways from Martha's Kitchen? Uh, maybe a block, a block and a half from here. And you, you just go down the you know, walk with the creekways and you'll find uh, homeless shelters everywhere. Okay. And then if I, so, so you kind of, we're talking about 22 years. So you've been, since early 2000s, have been a volunteer at Martha's Kitchen. Um, and then had worked and done other pieces. And then somewhere around you, you had an injury, which resulted in you being placed on SSDI and that was working out pretty good. And then something happened about three years ago that made things a little bit more. Well, yeah, we fixed it, but they stopped it. So that put me in a screwed position. I suffer with identity theft, unfortunately. So, um, there's other people helped me take care of that. So as far as my personal information. Okay. But about three years ago, um, did you move from kind of having your own place into either sheltering or down by the creek? Well, actually, I had my own house in East Porterville. I had a nice little country home. Okay. And, uh, the, the landowner screwed me out a lot of money. So um, that, then with my SSDI stopping, that forced me to go out in the street. So. Okay. So for the last three years then, you've been without your own place? Excuse me. So for the last three years, you've you've been without your. Yeah, I've been out. I've been living in shelters. Okay. So, um, and where where are you currently staying? No, I stay at shelter in place over uh, the fairgrounds, Gate C. Okay. And how long have you been there? Um, since April. Okay. And can you just tell tell us a little bit about what that's like, and how many people are there, and how it's structured? Yeah, there's that? about sixty people there, sixty beds. Um, I mostly either going there to sleep and that's it. And I'm usually here all the time. So, 
Okay. I'm hardly ever around, but there's other people that I've gotten to know. They're all really nice. Um, they all have their own personal problems, you know. Okay. It's somewhere to go than being on a bridge or sleeping along the creek. It's a lot better than sleeping on the ground. Okay. And did you have a time period in your life where you weren't sheltering in place and that you were outside? No, when I was working and living on my own, yeah. Okay. And I had a job. and In fact, in the past, I worked a job, a landscaping business, and I still came here and I gave my time. Okay. So what what was it like being out on the creek and being outdoors and surviving that it way? It wasn't fun. It was, it was not fun. It's something that I would say for anybody to go out there and do it, no way. Now, some of them are choose to be out there where I choose not to be out there. Okay. All right. And then, and Billy, just, you know, with your kind of exposure to, you know, all the folks that you've met, both feeding and within that homeless context, um, have you seen certain things that for people that are kind of consistent or like forced people into these situations or other, what are yeah, some of the things going on? Like, like a recently one of my, the guys, the homeless guys, he, he gave him a $250 ticket, a police pulled over and gave him a ticket for not wearing a mask. One day just gave him a mask instead of giving him a huge bill. He can't pay uh, oh, that's I mean, they think about, it, you know, I mean, I understand everybody's got to wear the, the, the mask, but if you're still inebriating them, you know, you should be giving them the mask instead of, you know, charging them a bill for they can't pay for it. Okay. Just kick them while they're down a little bit. Huh. Well, yeah, it's not right. You know? No. Right. All right. Well, Bill, let me ask you then is, um, uh, just with your experience there at Martha's and that, um, if people were wanting either help kind of on a long-term thing, are there, are there policy things or kind of systemic issues that people could do or other, otherwise, how, how can people get involved with Martha, Martha's and try to help out? Down and volunteer. <laughs> okay. and we always, we need our volunteers. Trust me, without our volunteers, we don't have anything. Okay. We have a lot of employees that have to employ more. So people like me and other people that come in, you know, they, they, they do it with a lot of them, like the regulars that come in. It's a passion, you know, it's like a routine. When I'm not here, I was missing this place. Okay. All right, so sign up for volunteer. We're going to have a link on uh, our page. Uh, so that'll be up there. Obviously, probably could donate money, too, so we'll make that available. Anything else you'd encourage what's your, uh, people to What's do? your favorite thing about Martha's? I mean, because you said you missed it. So while you were away, what what did you? Well, it's, the, it's the, like I said, they're like my family here. You know, I've been here for a long time. I've seen a lot of employees come in and go. And, like, my best friend, he's, uh, he's the one I follow his lead. That's his time. So uh, of operation hours, I'm here. So I, I do six days a week, which is it's a passion, you know. Um, it's, how do you explain that? It's hard to explain on, on camera. <laughs> right. I, understand I understand that. I understand that. So your slogan, the Feeding the Hungry with Dignity, I think is really special and amazing that that's what you guys really focus on. Could you talk a little bit about that um, and maybe just what it means to you to, you know, because obviously – people who are dealing with food insecurities or living in uh, difficult situations, which I think a lot of people are facing right now. Well, um, it's a passion. Yeah. You know, no, and, people, you, know, you know how many people I've met over the years in this place would blow your mind, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's a passion, you know, and to see them come in every week, the same clients over and over every week, at least we know whether they're okay. You know, they're getting fed. Um, you know, I do what I can. The ones that do come by, you know, but um, it's a passion. I'm giving back. That's what I was taught, and that's pretty much what I know how to do. Do you feel like you still have those spiritual ties, like through, like every time you serve, do you feel that spiritual connection when you volunteer? 
Well, see, now I don't really serve. I'm either chopping or dicing or <laughs> okay, okay, okay. prepping. So, do you feel a spiritual connection when you're chopping veggies? Right. Or if I'm outside, I smoke and, you know, and I sit outside and I talk to all the homeless. Or they come up to me and say, hey, Bill, what's for lunch or what's for dinner? You know, of course, and I tell them, and, you know, it's all about respect thing, which is cool, you know. It is. And it's that human to human connection. And I think that's what's so important about volunteers, especially like you who... Well, everybody needs happy endorphins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. And so, I mean, having that connection with someone and giving your time and your energy and also your words and your communication and your conversation is a gift, especially when people feel really isolated. So Yeah. Well, like they, they come out of the blue and say, hey, can you help me with this question? Or they have problems with their phones. It's like, okay, I, I can take a couple minutes to you know help you figure your phone out. Then, a man know. of all trades. Mm. So friendship, well, kindness, res- respect, and dignity. All, yeah. all, all pretty good stuff. No, so, you can, so you can come to Martha's and you can get a meal and be treated with respect. And maintain, Bill will help you to do your phone. Yeah. yeah, maintain dignity and get your phone fixed. So, well, very good. <laughs> well, Bill, anything else you'd uh, want people to know about Martha's that we haven't talked about? Um, it's, if you want to learn from Martha's, I'd say come here. If you want to other organizations that want to learn, I'd say come to us because in the past others have come to us and they set up their little, you know, ports or their hubs somewhere else. So it, it's a good learning lesson. If somebody's never been out like uh, people that work every day, uh, most organizations will give you the perks for coming. So that's why I say, come on in. All right. More volunteers is better. You know, we All don't right. push them away. We make sure they come in. Okay. Unless we're overflowing, then, you know, it's a different story. All right. So come get to know your neighbor, get to know your community, and help out while you're doing oh, it. Yeah, so. actually, I know a lot of the neighbors that live around this place too. So, you know. Okay. You'll probably have be, you seen? Uh, uh, have you seen like more of a younger generation coming into volunteer since the pandemic? It's mostly the high schools, the colleges come. Um, they get their credit hours. Um, you know, we we don't really turn away anybody. I suggest if you guys want to come check us out, come on in and check us out. All right. Well, Billy, we appreciate your time very very much. We wish you the very best of luck and. Keep uh, rolling on. It sounds like you're going to be uh, kind of a lifer there at Martha's. So I'm sure the next time we're in, we'll get a chance to see you. So wish you the best of luck in the uh, sheltering in place and getting through the transitions and with the SSD. Hopefully, my Lord, it, hopefully, my God, it, it ends soon. So I'm on the list for waiting for a house. So Okay. Uh, you know, that's the most important thing is me get off the streets. I'm tired of doing this. Right. Okay. As far as this place, it'll take wild buffalo to keep me from here. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. All right. Well, we'll watch out for those wild buffaloes. Well, all right, Billy, we'll appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast and uh, we wish you the very best. All right. Thank okay, you. Great. Thank uh, you. Yep, okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We are back. And uh, after uh, listening to Billy there, kind of talked to us a little bit after a little bit more of Martha's Kitchen so uh, very grateful to have him on. Um, each week we are also adding the other kind of segment for us is something called the Mindful Minute. Uh, so this week, into week four, we are now into step three of uh, the old uh, map that is Mindful Awareness and Performance, uh, eight-point path to mindfulness. So um, Eight-point path to mindfulness. There you go. All <laughs> right. So we talked about uh, conscious awareness was kind of step one. And again, these aren't very linear. These are kind of circular and they overlap and all that kind of stuff. But you got to number them a little bit. So conscious awareness. Last week we talked about controlled breath and this week kind of part three is what we call the calm mind. So uh, calm mind for us is actually, it's kind of the result of the first two. So with the conscious awareness and using our breath, we're able to kind of settle everything down. And so it means exactly that staying within kind of the calm, 
calmness of the mind. So big term for me, anyway, working on it. So I'm going to try to just talk about a little bit is something called equanimity. Equanimity. So I had to kind of look that up. But anyway, so basically what equanimity is, um, is that you're saying like anemone, like see an (laughs) enemy. Oh, I like that too. So hey, equanimity. Mission blue. We'll talk about that. So anyway, so supporting the ocean. Anyway, um, that is basically not attaching. It's staying neutral with things that happen. So we've talked before about how thoughts and emotions are in and of themselves are neither good nor bad. So the calm mind gives you the opportunity to kind of just, you know, see it, observe it. And what is what's going on. And so you kind of have this level of what we talk about is acceptance. Not that what's going on necessarily is okay, and you may not like it. But it's just a recognition of this is my current reality. So there's an honest and clear assessment about what's going on with it. So in that state, then you can take a little bit better look at it. And when you do it through the calm mind, then that's where we talk about the delay between stimulus and response. And so then when all this happens to you, you're not assessing. And a lot of times what we do is through our education, our life experiences, our training, our worldview, that's where we assess meaning to certain events. And if we can suspend latching or labeling or doing all that kind of stuff to these events and just be with them, then we can select out what the appropriate response might be for us. So that's really what we're kind of working on. So again, calm mind and using your breath work, your conscious awareness to stay in that kind of neutral place, not assess too much meaning to anything, and then working out of that and again, being clear about who you want to be in these situations and through the calm mind, you can make selective choices about how you want to respond to certain situations. So encouragement, stay calm, stay curious. And really you're constantly looking at things and asking what's the lesson in this for me? And the calm mind can lead you to the answer. Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing that uh, keeps coming up for me is to remember that it's a process and you can't just decide like, okay, calm mind Zen. That's, I wish that's how it worked. That's not how it's worked for me, but it's not something like a light switch. You just flip. It's a process. And so that's why we call it an eight step path because conscious awareness and then paired with controlled breath helps you to find that controlled mind. And yes, last week I talked a lot about a meditation that has really, really helped me. And I'd be so curious to hear if any of y'all did it because it is, it's so fire. Um, but There's a big step for me to get to that calm mind. And there's like when I meditate or when I am kind of getting in that zone, like that's sacred space for me. And you have to protect it and honor it and use it because the calm mind can't come if I roll out of bed and scroll Instagram for 30 minutes and then just go right into my day and drink coffee. Like that's, that's not it. Like for me, a calm mind is like, I have to wake up first thing in the morning I do is meditate. I can't get on my phone. Then I go downstairs and I take Dane for a walk. I work out and then I'm in this flow. And it's like I clear the space from the physical, like the earthly realm, the things like the day-to-day kind of junk that gets in the way of the person and the energy that I want to be. And so to have a calm mind, it's a process. And I think that some people get so freaked out by like not having a calm mind. And this is literally the... I'm rolling my eyes to the back of my head if you're listening to this on the podcast. This is like the number one thing. It's like when you're a yoga teacher and somebody's like, I'm too flexible to stretch or do yoga. And you're like, well, sounds like you need it. Like, right? Like, sounds like you need it. It's the same thing, right? So when people are like, I'm too scattered to meditate. 
if you're using the word scattered to describe yourself or to describe an event, like I'm running around, like I'm losing it, like all this stuff, like you need to stillness gets you there. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I just want to emphasize on the point that Emma did make though, that it, you just don't snap into it. It's like everything. And so for you athletes out there who are following us and thinking about the things that you're doing, again, this all connects to the conscious awareness, the controlled breath. And then when you're in your moment of stress, with the calm mind, then you connect the body and the body will respond in the way you want. And so, but again, it has to be practiced uh, over and over and over so that it is just like everything else you do, whether it's running or lifting weights, stretching and flexibility, speed, drill work, anything. Uh, you have to practice it, create muscle memory. And it's the exact same thing that you're doing with your mind. So working on that calm mind. And then our action step for this week is um, just in the moment, so if you're doing the conscious awareness and maybe the controlled breath, uh, if you have situations that normally you would assess as ooh, yuck, or whatever, um, try try this issue with uh, equanimity. And uh, you, oh, could wanna, you could actually practice saying it. But um, try to stay neutral of things and don't assess a lot of judgment around it and just review it, look at it. And in particular, remember, thoughts are just thoughts and See if you can kind of analyze your emotions and don't label them either good or bad and then make uh, conscious choices about how you want to respond to the world. So that's our mindful minute for uh, today. And uh, we uh, appreciate you guys being with us. And thank you very much. Love it. All right, everybody. We are here with Ask George, Brother Bear. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, so we had a couple long questions, um, and since we're a little schmooshed on team, um, we're going to do one. So this is from Rob Coleman. Hi, Rob. Um, Heard about us from the Hidden Pearls podcast. Thank you. Okay, this is our question. Oh, hey, hey. Oh, hey there, George. Just wondering what you got to say with the accent or else I won't answer the question. Okay. All right. So this is coming in two parts. So, um, oh, hey there, George. Just wondering what is your favorite pro wrestling match of all time? And can we be best friends? Wow. What do you think? Wow. Um, my favorite wrestling match of all time. I don't know. I, I have a favorite wrestling moment. Um, is actually the first WrestleMania I ever like watched start to finish was when Seth Rollins cashed in Money in the Bank against Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, and that was the WrestleMania at Levi Stadium, which is also cool. Um, Were you and people don't really understand. A lot of people don't get that I became a wrestling fan in college, like big time. I was not a fan of it growing up. Like I knew the Rock and Stone Cold were and everything like that, so I missed a lot of the great matches back then. I've gone back and watched them as of now, but like to see it live that was a pretty special moment because i also like seth rollins because he's from iowa and that's uh but him cashing in and also because he lost earlier in the day to randy orton on, which was also a sick match as well so uh that's one of my favorite wrestling moments can we I get like the uh what does randy do his celebration when he wins I get up on the top rope though. Yeah, Tiny yeah. spandex. Watch out, watch out, watch out. The Viper. Sorry. Love it. I also love that you're using your microphone. It's super cute. Um, okay. I have an extra toboggan. You can borrow anytime you want. That's super nice. Oh, um, you have a toboggan, eh? Eh. In all seriousness, thank you to the entire Kittle family for getting the word out and all these great causes around the country. George, did you have an aha moment when you realized not only 
you could play in the league, but be one of the best. Hmm. I don't know. Was it when you started doing map with Thunderbird performance? No, it was before <laughs> that. I don't know if I had an aha moment. I'd have to think about that. I think it was more of a, um, I just realized that I kept getting better and better when I like put my mind to it. And, um, I eliminated, I eliminated distractions that's and map for all of you. That's map. We're going to yeah. get into that in the mindful minute, but in a minute, in a mindful minute. Yeah. We're nice. Yeah, we do you just interrupted minute. me in the middle of my story. Sorry, brother. I'm offended. Don't be offended. Hurtful. Hurtful. Dad talking to the mic. I can't hear you. I'm touching the mic. <laughs> Thank I said you. It. I'm touching the mic too. All right. So for those who are getting into podcasting or haven't uh, a good gauge is if you have a beard to let your whiskers whiskers tickle a mic. Let the whisker tipple. I'm the beard whisperer. I don't have that. I'm the mic whisperer. I just have lip gloss on. I'm ruining it. Okay, answer the question. My aha lip gloss moment. be popping. All right, lip what do you want me to say? Cool. What was the question? Um, did you have an aha My moment? aha like, moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When was it? Um, I was somewhere in my second year. Um, I think I just kind of figured out the run game. And then once I started figuring out the run game, I was like, huh. I was like, the past stuff game, like I can obviously get better at and better at. But like when you, because I love run blocking and I was not, I was very, very okay my rookie year. That's a way to say that I sucked. Just a nice way of saying I wasn't very good. It's very, <laughs> very okay. Um, very, like, very hey, dude, that guy's okay. very, very average. That was me my rookie year. And, um, <laughs> I think what clicked, I, I couldn't tell you what game it was. I think it, I, it was actually, it was against Kansas City my second year, I would have to say. Um, I had uh, I started the game with a drop, which was really fun and exciting. Um, but then after that, I actually had a great game. I had like, um, I think I almost had 100 receiving yards, a bunch of broken tackles. I was rumbling, bumbling, stumbling around. Um, I passed pro great. I r- did run blocking great. Um and that's when my position coach said, he was like, hey, this is the best game you've had of your career. Like, this was really good football. Like, you had, like, two bad snaps the entire game, the, that entire game, and it was the drop pass. And I had, like, oh, maybe a pass pro versus D4 that I wasn't the greatest on. But overall, I played, like, a really, really good game. <clears throat> and he was like, you got to stack these one at a time the rest of the season. And he goes, that's how you get your confidence up, and that's how you're going to become a great player. And I think it was – I was like, all right, like, I can do this. And I think it just kind of took off from there because – I think that was that was week three because the week before versus Detroit, I, I played all right. I did all right in the run game, but I only had like two catches for like 20 yards. Um, but that third game and on, I definitely uh, – it just kind of clicked for me. And the um, attention to detail that I put into kind of everything. And um, I also realized early on in that second year that the worst thing about football is when you go to the line of scrimmage and you have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a worse feeling. It's pretty bad. Like you get to the line, you're like, I don't know what route I have, who who are we going to, who's the mic, like you don't know. And so I spend, now I spend a lot of time just studying our playbook and the looks. And so every time, no matter what the play is called, by like the third word of the play call, I know what the play is. I know what my assignment is. And then when I line up, I don't have to think about what am I doing? I'm thinking about how do I do this the easiest way and the best way possible. And so that was one of the biggest clicks that happened for me. And that was, I think it really started the Minnesota game, my second year, I didn't really have any MAs. And when you don't have any MAs, you go out there and you play football and you can have fun. So that is was my aha moment was probably the Chiefs game, I will say. What's an MA? 
This assignment, or you can do an ME, which is uh, mental error. Mental error, um, yeah. Those are not fun. I'd rather have a misassignment than a mental error. Those suck. Well, but George, you know that what you talked about, though, the, the mental aspect of the game, I think, is so hard for people to appreciate. And this is just my bias because you're my son. But the tight end position, because you're in the O-line, so you need to know all of that stuff with, like, and we just, you know, talk to Mike. So you got to understand all the triples and the combos and all that kind of stuff. And then you also have pass routes from that attached position. But then you can also be at any other receiver spot on the field. And so you also get pass pro as well. I got no protections. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah. So all of those combinations, it's, there's a lot of mental. So the mental side of it really is, especially in the Kyle Shanahan offense where you're in motion 80% of the time and moving and people are moving and all that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, I think so that's cool. But another that. thing that I want to touch on is like, I think like what George just said is what he did was get really good at his job. And I think something that people really do is like, kind of drown and like what can I do to be great what can I do to like stand out and it's like you don't have to be this extra over the top person you just have to be really really good at what your assignment is and know it and show up and then obviously like once you know those things like I feel like once you became super dedicated to the mental side of it I feel like that's when your like personality and the playfulness of you as a football player really started to shine through because you just you knew that you could have fun because you knew what you were doing yeah, and like I said, when you're not worried about other things and the only thing that you're worried about is sh- showing up to the stadium on time and playing football, and your it shoes. makes it a lot easier. And so, your shoes. Um, like, yeah, my shoes. But yeah, you actually, like, you have to show up and you have to perform, but making sure you know everything that's going on makes it a lot easier. And so that's why I, the mental side of it, I've taken much more of a serious undertaking to, and that has made my life a lot easier. Yeah. Okay. All right, Georgie. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, For everybody who didn't watch the last show, uh, George is doing a special giveaway. uh, A pair of signed gloves after the uh, fifth episode. And then we're also doing a question. Did you want to tell people what your number was now, or do you want to do that next episode? Um, I can't. I know no one got it right, so I'll just roll it on to the next episode. Yeah, let's do the next one. I don't think anybody got it. Okay, no. so okay. George no has a number close. in mind, and he's waiting for somebody to try to guess it. They because can... they get? A free pair of gloves. And it's a number between one and, I don't know, like. There's eight numbers in it. Whoa. Good luck. Like one in one million. Okay. All right, let's narrow it down. It's a, it's a two-digit number. No, it's not. Oh. Oh, Okay. Wow, They're not your gloves. I only have, I have a limited amount of 2019 game gloves that I can give out. This is out. true. All right, All right y'all. All good right. luck. Um, I'm a stingy so MFer. Let's just, so the hint is that it's actually an eight-digit number. The hint's an eight-digit number, and all the numbers in it have something to do with me. Ooh, that's, there's, can there's they two guess digits there. the, do they have to be all be in the correct order? What do you think? Well, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Of course they do. I'm not going to make it too easy on these guys. What are you no. talking about? These are cool yeah. gloves, y'all. All right. All right. They're very cool gloves. All right. Well, thank you so much, Georgie. We love you. Stick around. You look Michael good at Mission Minute. Blue. Thank you to Mission Blue for the t-shirts. It's soft. It's comfortable. But we really like their mission, which is to save the ocean. So thank you so much for that. Donate. Do everything you guys can. Um, but yes, thank you. Keep our oceans clean. And that is it for me. I will see you guys later. And I'm just going to let you go with the sweet serenity of my voice. Ooh. Have a great day. Have goodness. a great week. Panic. Give you some panic express. 
Drink some Bud Light Seltzers. We love you. We'll see you later this week. Hey, yeah. Oh, uh. You done? Bomb, 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 bomb. All right, see you guys. I love you. This is the end. Okay. And action, take 87. Action! Hey, thanks for joining us for episode four. I just suddenly had a start. I just kind of flashed there, episode four. But anyway, uh, of the Hidden Pearls podcast, uh, very glad that you uh, watched the show. I hope you enjoyed it with uh, different folks we had on. Um, we will be in the Bay Area, so this is uh, week four of the season. Niners got the Eagles uh, coming up. And then after that, uh, two more home games. So we will be here in the Bay Area. We'll be looking at local charities. Next week, we have a new Niner and a new charity. Um, and really encourage you to tune in and listen to us for that. And again, get registered, go vote. And and you can find us on uh, Instagram, Hidden Pearls Podcast, or ThunderbirdPerformance.com. That's where all of our uh, map, our Mindful Minute pieces are from. And also, you can just see great photos of our family. There you go. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. And go Niners. Thank you. Cut. Now cut. Cut.